Welcome to Kessid. My name is Danny and I'm one of the pastors here. This is Tom. He's another pastor here. And uh, we're so excited that you, uh, that you came to check out church, especially for those of you who are new. Uh, what you're about to experience is not a perfectly normal thing at Kessid, but we do do it pretty regularly. And that is sort of update our church family on all the different things that are going on here. These uh, started a couple years ago when we were remodeling this building, the first two floors of it, and we asked Tom who is our gifted executive pastor, our business manager, that's his background, uh, to give us Tom updates, yeah. A lot of Tom fans out there, yeah. Um, and anyhow, so uh, we got a lot going on at the church, and so uh, we felt it was time for you guys to get another update. So uh, you already applauded, but let's do it one more time for, for Pastor Tom. Thank you, Danny. Good morning. Uh, I first want to say on behalf of the elders and the pastors and the staff of the church, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your giving. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your kind words. We really appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to dive right into so far this year with our, our general fund. So uh, we give updates. We're very transparent with our finances, um, as, as transparent as we can be. So for the first six months of this year, our giving, our general fund giving is about the same as it was last year. So we're thankful we haven't gone backwards. So that's good. Uh, we did project a small increase in giving just based off attendance and based off of every year we seem to exceed our giving budget. Uh, so we're just going to believe that the Lord will provide uh, the second half of this year. And we are going to uh, be good stewards and we are going to look for ways to save some money and adjust some budgets, things like that. But uh, that's the update for where we're at financially in the church. Um, you may have noticed a couple weeks ago that we had a fundraiser to send kids to camp, um, hot dog fundraiser. And I'm happy to report that between that fundraiser and special gifts that were given in, we raised almost $11,000 to send students to camp. Yeah. And I'm happy to report that every student who wanted to go to camp is going to camp. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. We don't normally talk about attendance here at Kessid, but uh, I'm going to, to today. Uh, we have seen record attendance numbers this year, and, and mostly in the last couple of months, which is really strange in the middle of summer to have record attendance. So we're very excited about that, and we're a little bit scared about that uh, to, to make sure we're, we're ready for you. But uh, in spite of that, so what we're going to do is, is uh, as you know, we paused our final phase of the remodel earlier in the year. We are going to relaunch that because we need every square foot of this 30,000 square foot building. So we're gonna relaunch that, and if you remember right, uh, this is something we're gonna raise funds for. We're not gonna go into more debt for. And there is a generous family in the church who has offered to match funds up to $30,000. So for every dollar you give, they're gonna match it, so it's gonna be doubled. So uh, more information to come on this, but we're gonna start immediately on this to get the basement uh, all finished up for us, okay? Amen? Amen. And then, uh, with the growth uh, that we're seeing and what we know we're going to get in the fall, um, there are serving opportunities. And we, you know, it takes a lot of volunteers to pull these services off. And the need is now for people to volunteer and to serve. And we know it's going to be even greater in the fall. So would you go to the website, go to the app, take a look at those things, see if you can serve once or twice a month. That would be very helpful. Okay. Uh, I just have a couple things. Uh, the first one would be that uh, at Kessid, we try not to, uh, to do too much that uh, we don't feel like really benefits our community. And, and part of 
trying stuff means that uh, every once in a while we'll do something that we get feedback from you guys that you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what this is about. And so two things that we got feedback from you consistently. The first one was uh, having high school on Sunday separate from junior high during the midweek. And so we got some pretty good feedback. Joe got some really good feedback. And after a lot of prayer and some of his leadership, he's feeling like he wants to put them back together on Wednesdays with a full youth service here for high school and junior hires together. So two things. One, uh, that first service will be uh, right after camp. It'll be August 10th. That's when it'll happen. They're going to have a huge party, but he's going to need help. He's going to need people to come and support that, which is one of the reasons that we sort of separated that was we just didn't have the help. But hey, now we have a bunch of record attendance, which means there's a bunch of people trying to figure out what to do now that they're part of Kesson. So Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> You're feeling convicted right now. You're like, not junior hires, right? So, um, but maybe, maybe God has called you into that mission field. So, uh, so we're going to relaunch that. We're stoked about it uh, and uh, consider helping with that. The other thing, which I thought was really fascinating, uh, but, but hey, we're, we want to we listen to our community, was uh, we got a lot of feedback from people that they really didn't like past offering, that they felt like it was a distraction, that they felt like it was, uh, it was just better for them in any ways to give through text or through the boxes in the back or even mail, and that uh, it just didn't really flow well. We received some feedback from people who brought friends who were like, uh, I would rather that not happen. And so at first we were like, well, you know, so what? And then we were just, <laughs> uh, just being honest, right? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, we're just regular people. And I was like, well, you can't get everything you want. But then it stayed pretty consistent. So uh, we want to listen and we want to trust that it's kind of interesting. As we talk about, you know, having a little bit less giving this year uh, than we hoped, uh, which we think makes sense because of the recession and all the different things that are going on, if you will, uh, in the world. But uh, we were hoping for that, that then we would take away offering, the past offering. But uh, we just really feel like that's uh, something that, that we're willing to let go and trust that you guys will uh, continue to show up uh, financially for the church. And so uh, today was actually your last past offering. It's, it's no longer going to be here. So if you're mad, you got to bring it up with God and, and all the other people in the church who asked for it to go away. Amen. Amen. So excited. I was excited that I got that particular uh, update. And it's not Danny's update. It's Tom update. So I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. But, uh, but I was happy to communicate those two things. And listen, again, this is our church. This is your church. So feedback matters. So be thoughtful with it. But also feel free to share when you see something that can be improved or strengthened or an opportunity that, uh, that we can hear from you. So thank you so much. I think Tom has one more. And then I'll pray and wrap it up. Yeah, uh, September 10th, all-church picnic out at Louisville from 11 to 4. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's uh, bring your own everything. chairs. Yeah, everything. Food. It's bring your own everything, bring BYE. Your own everything. Well, I, just, yeah. I got some looks when I said bring your own. So, I, uh, but, uh, so yeah, uh, there will be some activities for the kids. It'll be a lot of fun. It's guaranteed to be, guaranteed to be 75 degrees exactly that day, so we don't have to worry about too much heat. So uh, anyway, thanks, you guys. We love you. Yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that, uh, that we can be authentic, that we can be a, a little vulnerable, and that we can take serious the stewardship of your church and your resources. We know, Lord, that you take it serious, that uh, there's a lot more that happens in a community this size than just what's on this stage, and we are so thankful that you have, uh, that you have met those needs. Thank you for Tom and his gift and the way that he uh, manages and stewards and leads that area of our church. We just lift the rest of this service to you and all of God's people said, amen. amen.
Well, I want to welcome you again. Thank you so much for coming, specifically the people online that are watching live right now or are streaming later. Thanks for uh, joining us here at Kessid. Uh, my name is Danny, and I'm going to be sharing with you today. We are in our uh, series, Choose Your Own Adventure. We're in the third week of the series, and uh, the first week was kind of an intro, asking for you to, to make a choice to be a part of this adventure that that reading the Bible and studying the Bible really invite you into. And then last week, uh, Joe talked about how the Bible is really a pursuer of you and who you are and that its story and that its words matter for life change and for relational development. And so today, uh, we're going we're gonna to actually like study. What I mean by that is today, I'm going to show you how I enter into the Word when I decide to try and go and experience God's presence in my life through the text. Now, I want to be careful that I don't, uh, that I don't in some way uh, prescribe or predict that this is how you do it. But I think the way that I do it, uh, there, there is a lot of leeway in this approach, and I think it will benefit a lot of people in the room. And I think for some of you, it may challenge how you study the text. But if you're at the church and you feel like you're learning from the teaching then you can complain all you want about how I studied the text, but it seems to be working for you and for me. So uh, I'm hoping that as we dive into this part of the adventure that you are considering, especially those of you who have never, studying the book for yourself. We say this a lot, going to church is important, being part of a community is important, reading books, listening to podcasts, sitting in a church service, all very important, but they're not the most important. The most important thing you can do is build your own relationship with Christ. That means you have to pick up your own tools and form your own habits, and it has to be more than just attending a church service because churches let people down. Churches are flawed uh, environments. They're beautiful for life change. They, they, I, again, I've dedicated my life to what I believe they're supposed to do, but most importantly, most of the life change in my life has come from my time with God in the Word and prayer. Amen? Okay? So that's my little caveat there. Uh, the book that I chose this week uh, is called The Everest Adventure because I believe that anybody in this room, especially those of you who've never studied the word, the Bible, uh, on your own, I think it feels a little bit like climbing Everest. And I chose the book before I read the back of the book. I just want to preface that. I, I, I thought the title was perfect. I thought the guy's face looked perfect because frankly, let's just be honest, that's what it looks like just a few weeks into studying the Bible for most of you. Right? You get in and you're just like, what's happening? And, and you feel the avalanches and the cold and the wind and you're like, nope, this makes no sense. There's no application to my life whatsoever. And you climb back down or you just spiritually freeze on the slopes. This is, this is feedback that we hear a lot around studying the Bible. This is one of the reasons that, that I think Kesed is experiencing some of the growth. And that is because we are entering into the Bible from a, a little different perspective than most places. Now, Reading the back of the book is still very important because that's supposed to be the setup of the series, that, that life happens, that you have a picture of what you're going to go do, and then something else happens, and that's the context that we're going to read the Bible from because that's the context that life really happens in. This, <laughs> this is the back of the book. After I already planned the series, planned this talk, this is what I was given to preach from. Opening line, will a terrorist plot keep you from reaching the highest place on earth? What? This is a climbing book. It says, although you're an experienced climber, you never thought you'd be chosen to attempt Mount Everest, the world's highest peak. But someone is trying to stop your expedition. 
During a stopover in Beijing, you're exploring the crowded city when you are suddenly grabbed from behind. The cold steel of a knife pressed against your throat. Stay still and you will not be hurt, a voice hisses in your ear. Should you try to get away? With all these people around, you wouldn't dare use the knife, right? On the other hand, it may not be wise to test him. If you do as the man says and stay still, turn to page 23. If you try to get away, turn to page 18. You must decide quickly and carefully. You could be in deep trouble or worse if you make the wrong choice. But if you choose wisely, you'll still have a chance to triumph where countless others have failed on the massive slopes of Mount Everest. I read this and I thought, well, that's a bummer. I didn't see that coming at all from the book cover. There's terrorists involved and knife fights and all sorts of other things. And then all of a sudden I realized, you know, this is actually a really good illustration of how it feels sometimes to attempt reading the Bible. Before you even start your Bible reading expedition, something grabs you and a voice says in your head, whoa, whoa, you think there's anything in that book for you? Something hisses into your ear and says, you think you're qualified to understand the words of God, or how could this possibly be true? This is more like a menu for how to do magic, someone said one time to me. I thought that was a profound example of the Bible. I just, I like the Bible, but I'm not into all the magic. And I'm like, well, fair enough. But these words pile into our ears, and so suddenly we decide not to climb at all. And then a few weeks later, like I said, we end up looking like that guy. And yet, the Bible's very clear that we are called to climb in. Our adventure verse for the week, we have a verse every week that we sit in in our own Bible reading time. That way, if you're like, I want to read it, but I don't know where to begin, every week there's a verse that you can just read frontwards, backwards, sideways. You can study it. You can Google it. You can ask a friend about it. You can pray about it. But this adventure verse for the week is a book that calls us to climb in spite of the terrorist voices we hear before we start. Psalm 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers. We are called to, to climb into this book. In spite of its, its, its cold slopes, some of them, in spite of its confusion, in spite of the loneliness or the howling wind or the terrorist thoughts that say we don't belong here, the Bible is clearly offering you and your life something more than you could ever get or gather on your own. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to climb in. We're just going to allow the terrorist thoughts to come because, of course, they will. But more importantly, we are going to recognize that the Holy Spirit promises if we decide to climb, if we decide to follow, that he will comfort. It's a very interesting word that the Holy Spirit chooses to uh, become for us that Jesus says he does in John 14, 16, he says, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So is Jesus talking about you? Yes, he is because you sort of classify like I do inside that forever word. This comforter still exists. He comforts us on the slopes of our climb. And this should remind you right away, especially to those of us who've been climbing for a while, 
that if Jesus says the Holy Spirit's coming as a, comfor- as a comforter, then following God is uncomfortable. So if you're climbing in order to get to like this, this tropical spot on Everest, where there's like, like, there's just like no wind and lots of sun and Mai Tais, that doesn't exist. That's the opposite direction, actually. <laughs> if your life like, has no tension with God whatsoever, then I would question whether or not you have a life actually with God at all. Because to walk with the Holy Spirit is to climb. And to climb with the Holy Spirit is to need a comforter because it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to sit in his presence. It's uncomfortable to to often sit in services where the Holy Spirit takes the words of someone like me and, and allows them to seep into an area I never even intended, but you know. And then you think I'm reading your email or talking to your spouse, but it's really not. It's just the Holy Spirit going, oh, I'd like, that's for you. Oh, hold on, I prepped him, that's for you, and that's for you, and that's for you. And you're like, no, 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 I like my tropical paradise of me. But God has called you to something different. And I just want to say this before I continue on. The views when you climb with God are breathtaking. They're unbelievable. But they are often difficult to get to. And, again, very uncomfortable. Uh, Side note, as I was building this message and I had that image up there, I was really excited to notice, to drive home my point of the Holy Spirit, that uh, at the last minute there was a second climber back there. See him? on the cover of the book. I didn't even know it. I was like, oh, this is a great close. I'm going to set up the Holy Spirit. I'm going to set up that it's uncomfortable. Then I'm going to tell everybody, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit's with you and he's excited for you and he's cheering you on because you never climb alone. And then my wife, who's the graphic designer for our church, I said, hey, can you zoom in on him? Because I'd really like to drive home his point. And then I looked at the fear on his face and I was like, well, that's not going to (laughs) work. That's, that's not what I intended at all. And then I cut it from my message. This is true. And then as I was moving on, I really got this strong sense from the Holy Spirit that he was like, yo, bro, that's exactly the face I make when I'm trying to climb with you on the mountain. (laughs) I am constantly like, Danny, you can't say that. Danny, you can't do that. Danny, relax. Like he's like, no, this is exactly who I am in your life. Okay, I'm not some wise, you know, guy up above pulling on a rope as Danny listens to me whistling a mountain song, whatever that would be. This is who he is. He's like, I told you not to go that way. (laughs) As I'm screaming for help and he's making sure to catch me at the end. So if you have a Holy Spirit like mine, I just want to say, welcome, you're in the right place. Now, I want to take this word, uh, this word discomfort or uncomfortable, and I want to turn it into something else that then we're going to, that I want to show you that I use in order to enter into just about every single text that I read or study or turn into a message like this one. I want to take the word discomfort or uncomfortable and turn it into the word messy. This is, this is a word, this is very personal for me, so it's, a, it's kind of an awkward message because this is how I do it, so it's not, I'm not telling you this is how you have to do it. But this is how I do it, and I think it's a big reason why Kesed uh, as a whole is, is developing more and more people who are connecting with its message, whether they realize it or not, that is actually quite messy. Now, the word that I use, messy, is because I believe the Bible, this book that we're studying, is a messy book. I think it's messy because the stories are messy, and I think the stories are messy because the people the stories are about are messy. 
And the reason it's uncomfortable to climb and the reason you need a comforter in the Holy Spirit is because every single step of that journey is usually just a step out of one mess and into another. As a matter of fact, I'll go as bold as this when I say that messy is to the Bible what cold is to Everest. You just can't have one without the other. For me personally, the Bible, seeing the Bible as messy, has been one of the most powerful tools that I have used to climb in and find meaning and answers in its scripture. In every single text, in every character, and on every page, I personally almost always start by looking for the mess. I look for the human on the page. I look for the frailty. I look for the doubt. I look for the fear or the anger or the pride. Now, people have said to me over the years, because I've done a, a few preaching courses and I've also mentored a few preachers and I've also had a lot of theologians come and try to pick apart what God's doing here. Uh, they have said to me that when reading scripture, you should be looking for, I was told, the holy. I was told you should be looking for the large and big hidden consistent principles within. Or I was told by one lady, you should just always look for God. But I never start that way. Ever. I've tried and I end up with a message that doesn't feel like me. Instead, I look for what I know. I look for what I've experienced. I look for me. That's how I start studying the Bible. You see, I'm an expert at nothing except being a human. Every single person in this room is an expert at being human. And you know those feelings. You know fear, you know desire, you know frailty, you know doubt, you know fear, anger, pride, all the stuff. You know what that is like. And you know how you would respond in that situation, given you as a human in that story. This is the first thing that happens when climbing into this book and searching for the mess inside the story. Because anytime, I'll put it on the screen, something happens inside the text that shouldn't be there, as experts at being human, we can take notice and ask questions if we're looking for the messy. And in that way, you can study the Bible without really any knowledge beyond what you have in your day-to-day -day life. You can study it because you can look at how that person came to that conclusion or made a choice we would or wouldn't have. You can see yourself in that story in full color. And when we, as ourselves in that story, make a choice that we wouldn't, we can look at the positive or negative consequences or a choice that we would. We can see the positive or negative consequences. And suddenly we can literally immerse our lives inside this text to see ultimately that when someone makes a choice for good, holiness, righteousness, or healing, there in the mess, you will see God doing what he does to bring hope and love. Every time. If you find the mess and you see yourself in the mess, you will see God working within the mess of that person, and then ultimately, you will see God working in the mess of you. Over and over and over. We, these kinds of stories come to life for me. Like, like the story of uh, the, you know, the lady with all the jars of oil and her husband who's a prophet dies and she goes, uh, I think it's to Elisha and she says to him, my husband died, he used to work with you and now they're, we're in so much debt that uh, the slave, are, they're gonna come and put him in slave uh, bondage, in debt bondage. And she's freaking out and says, what should I do? And he says, what do you have in the house? She says, I have nothing in the house but this jar of oil. 
And he says, go get a bunch of jars from all your neighbors, fill your house with jars, and then fill from this jar of oil that you have all the other jars. And it's a miracle. She does exactly what he says. She shuts the door. She had fills her house with jars. She fills all the jars with a miracle oil jar. And the instant that there's no more jars to fill, to fill, the jar that she has stops. And then she goes back to the man of God. She says, what should I do now? And he says, sell it all, pay your debt, and live on the rest. We read these kinds of stories over our morning coffee, and we're like, that's awesome. That's such a good story of God's goodness and God's truth and God's. And I'm like, whoa, put yourself in the story. First off, if you just take the word prophet, the woman was married to a prophet. Another version says the woman was married to a man who told the future. How frustrating would it be that you're married to a man who told the future, who didn't see that one day he's going to die and wasn't able to leave you with enough funds to keep your family afloat while he's dead? That's a profound, messy thought. And it goes on and on and on and on, and you can get all the way to the end where once she has enough, she knows what to do with the stuff God has given her, and yet at the end, she still is fully a messy human. She goes back to Elisha, and she says, Elisha, what do I do now? She takes this huge blessing and goes back to Elisha and says, what do I do with the blessing? Let's just be honest. Let's stay in the mess. Some of you in this room, you have been blessed beyond your ability to know what to do with it, and you should probably go back to God and ask him just how he wants to use your resources. That could be gifts, that could be talents, that could be funds, I don't know. But so many of us are like, God, please help us. And then God blesses us and we're like, awesome, God, thanks. I know what to do from here. We never go back to the source of the blessing. If we can read text this way, if we can function this way, then suddenly we can see people like we see ourselves. And suddenly we can see God in the text. The primary purpose, James Merritt says, of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. But I don't think you can see the way that God works and so know him if you don't allow the mess into the pages. You see, you don't have to be a theologian to study God's word. You just have to be a human reading about other humans. Authentically and honestly. And they need to be humans that aren't superheroes, by the way. They just need to be People searching for a God who's already lovingly standing next to them in the mess. People just like you. I want to give you a real-time example of this in the text. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he would proclaim that he was here to bring a new kingdom, a new way of seeing the mess of our lives. This is known as the gospel or the good news. And guess what? Some people during Jesus' day actually believed him. They actually decided that they wanted to be a part of this new kingdom and change their lives. And I don't know if anybody more drastically and dramatically dove into this new, new kingdom than the sinful woman from Luke chapter 7. Verse 28 is what I'm going to read to you, and then we're going to make it really, really messy. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. And then he proclaims in great condemnation, for she is 
a sinner. This is a really powerful story. Jesus goes on to forgive this woman's sins. He goes on to correct the misunderstanding of the, of the, the very religious, the very uh, churched Pharisee. But more, most importantly, Jesus releases this woman into the kingdom to be this new creature she wants to be. And over our morning coffee, and I'm not minimizing that, by the way, I'm just saying sometimes you got to stop and let the text read you, not just you read the text. And when you sit in a story like this and you're like, hmm, that's profound. I wonder what that's about. And you just do a tiny search, just a, just a tiny internet search, or maybe you, you get a, 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 a commentary or something that kind of opens up that passage. You will come to realize that most people believe that this woman was a prostitute from an earlier story. And that this woman was bringing to Jesus this oil that also mentioned in another story was incredibly expensive around a year's wages at the time that what she was bringing was most likely earned in a very messy and destructive way, that this may have been her way out of that lifestyle, the, the purchasing of this oil that one day she could sell. But what you don't know about the oil, which isn't that big, it's not that hard to find, is that the oil once opened has to be used immediately. You can't just use a little at that time. They didn't have preservatives like we do. So once the oil is sealed, and time has gone by for it to be what it's supposed to be. Only once the oil is open can it be used, and it must be used immediately. And this woman comes, and she anoints the feet of Jesus with her hair and with her tears, and she gives over her escape plan from this life that she's living in. Now that, my friends, is a messy, messy version of the story. That is a real-life illustration of entering into the kingdom of God where we hand over our escape plan this is, this is probably just for this nine o'clock and I don't have as much time as I'd like. There's a ton of you in this room right now. You've given everything to God except your escape plan. Everything. You got this dusty escape plan sitting in the back of your house or the back of your mind. This is how it's gonna be. This is what's gonna happen. And once I do this, I can get out of this lifestyle and be the person I wanna be. And I'm just here to tell you, God wants it. He wants it. This is what the text does. By the way, I'm one of those people. I had, until very recently, an incredible escape plan. I'm not gonna share it with you now because you might try to steal it and make it your escape plan and that's not what we're here to do. But God asked me for my escape plan. He asked me for my way out. He asked me for these messy spaces that only he and I know that I've been living. And this woman handed it over all because she believed the good news that Jesus wanted her a part of his new kingdom. And this is exactly how we are supposed to climb into God's word, messy and searching for comfort. Now, I recognize that this isn't an easy way to approach scripture. So as something that could also uh, come alongside this and partner, I want to offer a tool to uh, our church as a whole. Uh, last week during Joe's message, he showed you a video. Uh, the video that he showed you was made by a group of artists and believers over in Portland that run a program called The Bible Project. Here's what I wanna do. I want to show you a video that helps illustrate in an even more messy context, the kingdom that Jesus wants to bring. I wanna show you another tool that can go alongside this book for you and the people you love to understand scripture, to understand the good news and to understand it in its full color, relatable mess. Please watch. 
there's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. 
This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. So here's what I want you to take away. I want you to see how the mess that is the story in Scripture of you and I is met by a God who joins inside the mess. I want you to see that there is so much human tragedy inside this book and that without seeing it, you cannot ever rest in any sort of human triumph because between the tragedy and the triumph, there is Jesus. Not your discipline, not mine, but Jesus receiving our escape plans, receiving our very messy earnings from living the lives that we have chosen to live. This is what the Bible is inviting us into as we climb. And yes, it's cold. And yes, there's avalanches. And yes, there's freezing nights. And yes, it feels sometimes like you are alone, but you are not. For there is a great comforter that wants to turn your mess and work inside your life to accomplish more peaks and more beautiful views than you could ever imagine. Now this tool, the Bible Project, is, is something you can look up. There's all kinds of videos re, uh, covering all kinds of stuff. I think it's a wonderful way to really see inside the mess of Scripture. But uh, that's actually not why I showed it to you. You see, when uh, I first started off as a youth pastor, there was a quiet young man who would sit in the back and draw the entire time I preached, every time I preached. No matter how loud I got, no matter how hilarious or amazing or charismatic, he would never look up. He would only sketch. And he would sketch early when he arrived and he would stay till late until I was able to start sitting with him. And I would try to talk to him about the message. He didn't care. I would try to talk to him about school. He didn't care. So I started instead talking to him about what he would sketch, which is how we built a friendship. That young man grew into a, a close friend of mine by the name of Robert Perez. And Robert is the very first employee and the art director. And those are many of his designs in the Bible Project. And he attends this church, and I asked him if he would come up and share with you a little bit about how his mess became this beautiful tool you all, you all saw today. Would you please welcome my friend, Robert. Look at us. Look at us. You without a sketch pad. Oh, man. Yeah. Is this your first sermon? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It could be. Could be. I, it might be the last. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Robert, first, just tell us about the Bible Project, because I, I want to make sure people understand um, a little of, of what it's about. And uh, you were the very first employee. Yeah. Uh, and you were, you were kind of the, you were the first artist mm -hmm. that, that created sort of the tone and those kind of things. How many years ago now? 
Oh, gosh. Uh, I think officially about seven years ago now. Okay, and how many videos do you guys have? I lost track. Honestly, there's so many. Hundreds. Hundreds, okay. And how many views, uh, what sort of impact is it having? Uh, it's having a global impact, uh, but we, like one of our more popular, Job, we did a video on Job, and uh, that's, that's over seven million views right now on YouTube. So Yeah, so kind of a big deal. I yeah, mean. a little, little mark. Um, but yeah, we got started... Uh, just based off of uh, a colleague of mine and his friend who's a theologian. They would have these great conversations. They would unpack uh, together uh, just what the Bible was talking about, how complex it was, how weird, how strange it was. And their conversations just yielded so much uh, answers and clarity on stuff. And they're like, I think this, this might be a better thing to share with not just us, but with the, with the community. And so they teamed up and then got me and a ton of our other artists to help kind of create visual um, aids to their their conversation and yeah we just started to produce these videos and we just haven't stopped so yeah it's been it's been a wild ride yeah yeah and would you say that uh, there's a lot of people who have seen their own messes uh, displayed inside your videos connecting themselves to scripture and like what we're talking about here today and so receiving the good news yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm always, I'm always touched and always love to hear the feedback of like so many people who have known God and have a relationship with them, but then they find our tools and they're like able to unpack so much more and they're able to see things in, in a completely different way than they were even understanding before. Mm. Uh, so yeah, and it's, it's been a great, I think, aid, a great tool. We're not the solution. We're just there to help bring clarity and, and help people. Uh, be pointed to the to the scripture. Yeah, you actually said you use the illustration with me, which I thought fit perfectly with the today's message. That you want to be a base camp. Yeah, we explain a little bit more of that. Yeah. So again, the you don't have to make the beautiful. You don't have to make the Bible beautiful, or you know, try and put wisdom into it. It already has it. But uh, our organization, our team, really just tries to highlight it and give you the tools so that you can start to see those beautiful themes, those beautiful messages that you might not quite see right away, but maybe like in relation to a mountain, we could point to the right trails, the right paths, the right equipment to get you to understand the deeper, some of the deeper meaning that you might not get from some of the crazy stuff in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's all the tools. That's everybody's approach to studying the Bible is, is finding a base camp, finding tools, finding themselves inside the work. Um, can we get just a little bit personal just sure. for a minute? Yeah. Uh, so I shared my version of you and your sketch pad yeah. and that season. I think you were, we, I think you were 14 when we met. Yeah, that I think right? so. Yeah. Uh, can you share a little bit your version from what your art was about? And I know this is, this is kind of personal because it's your mess, mm -hmm. but you said you were willing. So, um, yeah, uh, I was a super awkward kid, um, very quiet one. Like, I could be in a room full of people and nobody would notice me. I was always in the back in the dark. Usually, the, the, I still do that often. Um, but uh, I just, I had a hard time, had a hard time fitting in. I always felt kind of like an outsider. Um, I didn't do sports. Uh, yeah, again, I, I just didn't interact with a ton of people. So I just kind of went into this world of art. And that's where I think I got a, I got, or I had the opportunity to just work on my voice without ever having to say anything. This is immensely hard for me to even be up here in front of all of <laughs> Much you. Much more than you know. This is, yeah, a, this, this is, is a living miracle, actually. His wife's in the back like, 
yeah. Like so. Um, but yeah, it was, I think through that mess and through that time of being awkward and not having things figured out that I was, I was comforted by God and just felt like uh, I knew I had value and I just didn't know what it was going to look like in the future. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously art became a, a pretty big thing um, that I get to do today. Yeah. Uh, Robert, from the very beginning, uh, once we built our friendship, started communicating through art his love for, uh, for my family, for other people that he loved. Um, I found recently, actually, I have a whole file full of Robert drawings that he would give me to communicate different things. Uh, but I, I found one, a, a file that belonged to my son. This is for my son Gabriel's birthday that Robert uh, drew. Uh, I think that was on the bag that the card was in because Gabe was into Spider-Man at the time. Uh, this is the actual card cover. Uh, I mean, you know, just halfway decent art. Just, you know, I mean, I could probably have done it, but I was busy. I was doing a lot of important things. Uh, this is the inside of the card for him, for Gabriel. That, that, which I don't know what that, that, that I, I don't, what is I, must, I think it was an inside joke between me and him, okay. honestly. Okay. And then this is what really struck me, and it was the back of the card. Yeah. See, the thing that is remarkable about Robert is that Robert was always willing to give away his mess. He, he didn't hide behind it. He was willing to offer it to other people. And we were talking about this image in the video that we just watched, which I just preached about today, this image of the woman pouring oil onto Jesus' feet. And one of the things that, that kind of has become more and more interesting to think about when you allow your mess into the story is that although everybody around her was uh, probably telling her that she should have used that resource for something else. For instance, Robert could have easily taken his gift and went to Pixar or Disney. Those are real life options and avenues for Robert and his life, would you say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he has friends that are there. He has ways he could be there. But this is what he's felt like he was supposed to do with his mess. And, and talking, one of the things that's really neat about this story is everybody in the room is looking at the woman, thinking about her past, probably thinking about what the, the oil could have been used for. But the woman is bringing her gift through her tears, through her hair to Jesus, who allows it, who receives it. And I think the same thing that's happened in Robert's life and the same thing that happens in anyone's life who brings their mess before Jesus is that when this woman left, I don't know if you've considered this, but this woman who anointed Jesus with her hair and her hands and her tears, she would have been the only person who left smelling like Jesus. The only one. She would have left smelling like the Savior she brought her gift too. And I think that's partly what you get to experience here with Robert, is he brought his gift, he brought his awkward, he brought his, his person, and he said, here, Gabriel, here, Danny, here, church, here, kingdom, ultimately, here, Jesus. And suddenly, Robert is doing work that sure smells a lot like Jesus. This is what I think we are being offered when we are asked to climb with Christ, when we are asked to dive in to our own story. I'll put this up because I think it relates really well to him and really the theme of today. If we can do this like this woman, eventually our mess becomes our message. It becomes actually this thing that we get to offer Christ and the world around us. Robert, uh, I didn't ask you for any closing comment, but as you look back on your life and this, this uh, messy gift that you have that you've offered him, uh, any regrets? No, no, I, I just feel so grateful. I feel so honored that he has given me a voice 
and my voice can sound a bit like him. Like honestly, I don't I don't have to be the one on stage, and I don't have to be the one with the big message because he already has it. He already has this beautiful thing, and I get to be a part of it. If you're looking for a formula or a way to engage the Bible so that you reach this really special summit that you specifically have in mind, I cannot offer you that. What I can tell you is that something supernatural happens when you climb in, you break open your gifts, and you let them flow through its pages. Pick it up. Be curious. Disagree with it. Wrestle with it. Give your escape plan over. Bring it to the place that you really are and let it do what it does when you spend time with it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, uh, for my friend Robert, for the way that you've used his life. My prayer, God, is that it does not uh, discourage anyone in this room in that they have to think that, that they need to become this or become that, but that they simply are able to be encouraged by bringing their mess where they are right now. We thank you for the text. We thank you for the way that you want to bless us, the way that you want to reach us, the way that you want to transform us. We thank you that you will meet us on the slopes of the hills we are currently climbing, no matter how cold we feel, no matter how alone we feel. May we continue to offer our mess and receive your comfort as we spend time in your presence. We lift this all up to you, pouring it all out for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.